Matthew chapter 18 for the preaching of the Word of God. Inflation. It's a lovely word, isn't it? It carries a lot of meaning for us, especially the day in which we live right now. Many of us, well, all of us really have seen our costs of living go up in ways that we've not seen in many years, even decades. But as we look at Matthew 18, where we've been for a couple of weeks, and we've been looking at this passage to discover what loving like Jesus looks like. When we talk about loving God and loving others, it is good to be able to have some qualities or character traits to connect with that thought, that vision. And as we've examined this parable, we've found Jesus, who is teaching his disciples about forgiveness, his desire for his disciples and his church to live in it. We will be hurt, done wrong, gossiped about, mistreated, and so on. In all of these experiences, we should forgive. And to teach this, Jesus illustrated through the parable recorded here. He presented a servant whom his master forgave an impossible debt. And that servant represents each of us who have come to salvation through Jesus Christ. We've had our sins washed. In the blood of the Lamb, we've been forgiven everything. That master represents God who forgives all who come to him through Jesus. But then that same servant, forgiven all of that, refused to forgive a fellow servant who owed him a much smaller debt. And this Part of the illustration represents those hurts that we experience in life. Refusing to forgive the debt of another signifies refusing to forgive them when they have wronged us. And it demonstrates holding on to resentment. Holding on to that anger and letting it fester and build. Turning into resentment and bitterness. And through that, Jesus is teaching us the need to expel resentment from our lives. But what if we don't? What if in a situation or an experience we hold on to that resentment? Is there a negative impact of doing so? Of refusing to forgive someone else who has wronged us? That's the question that we want to answer as we complete our look at this parable. A message entitled, Forgive or Pay the Price. 
Think of inflation again for a moment. Have you seen the graphical and humorous representations of inflation going around recently? I've seen several on Facebook, particularly related to the price of eggs. I had a friend who recently posted a picture, and I know he and his family at some point in the recent past got chickens and are having their own eggs. But he posted a picture of an egg in the car seat and they had buckled it in and said something about needing to protect this little guy. You've probably seen, uh, how many of you have seen the jewelry commercials in the past and it ends, it's for Jared's and it says he went to Jared's. I saw a graphical illustration of a guy kneeling before his girlfriend and obviously it's the idea of he's asking her to marry him and the egg box or the egg box the ring box is opened and inside is an egg and at the bottom it says he went to Kroger (laughs) it's nice to be able to laugh about the high costs of things but I've seen several friends who have taken up raising chickens for the eggs and some have even threatened something along these lines in Facebook posts. Do this or pay the price. Get your own chickens. Raise them. Let them lay eggs for you or you're going to pay the price. When others wrong you, you need to forgive. Refusing to do so comes with a High cost. That's what we find in Matthew 18. Look, if you would, beginning in verse 31. We'll read through verse 35. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant. I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother. Their trespasses. I want you to consider carefully with me tonight the price of unforgiveness. As we do, let's note number one the recipe of unforgiveness. The recipe of other of unforgiveness. When others became aware of the events. Between these two servants, again, we'll call the one forgiven the impossible debt by his master, the forgiven servant, and the other, the unforgiven. When they saw what transpired between the forgiven servant and the unforgiven servant, they informed the king, who then called for the forgiven servant to come before him and give account of his actions. Right here, we need to remember again, recognizing that we will all stand before God, 
that that in itself is a key to expelling resentment. When someone else wrongs you, remember they will give account to God. But then don't miss this. When you refuse to forgive, you hold yourself accountable to God. If someone else wrongs you, Who is guilty of sin? That other party, right? But think about this. When you refuse to forgive, when I refuse to forgive someone else who has wronged me, I now have placed myself in the position of having sin. And isn't that a little contradictory? I am angry at someone else because they've sinned against me. And in my anger, I am now sinning against God when I refuse to forgive. I put myself in a position where now in that situation, I am accountable to God. And will give an account for that. What is the recipe of unforgiveness? Number one, note this, a failure to receive what God has done for you. A failure to receive what God has done for you. Verse number 32. Then his Lord, after that, he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. The king reminded his servant of their transaction. What took place when he was called to give an account of the impossible that he owed and the king forgave him the debt. The servant owed such an impossible debt. And yet, through this, Jesus shows us a biblical truth. Forgiveness was his simply for the asking. Friend, remember, God's forgiveness is available to you and me simply for the asking. You don't buy it. You don't earn it. His forgiveness never runs out. He never says no. Just ask and God will forgive. What a wonderful truth. No matter what we've done, no matter how we've hurt him, no matter how big our debt is to God, you come to God, you ask for forgiveness and God will give forgiveness. That is wonderful, and that ought to cause us to praise him. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, God forgives all trespasses when you come to him in faith through Jesus Christ. He longs to cover you with his love and grace and forgive all your sin. And he calls upon us simply to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, remember the love and grace that God provides to you through Jesus that brings forgiveness and salvation. Understand, when you hold on to unforgiveness, you fail to receive what God has done for you. You're saved, but you fail to understand its experience, its power, and its transformation in your life. When you who have been forgiven... Do not forgive another. 
Number two, it's a failure to reflect what God has done for you. In verse 33, the king showed his servant that he should have demonstrated to his fellow servant the same compassion the king offered him. Over and over, we've tried to drive the point home since Vision Sunday that loving God and loving others necessitates that we understand God's love for us more. That we understand it better. And it shows up right here in verse 33. The king says to the forgiven servant, you should have had compassion on your fellow servant just like I had pity on you. Friend, when you understand God's love for you more, when you understand it better, you will respond by loving him more and loving others more. Loving him better and loving others better. Expelling resentment, as we saw last Sunday, necessitates reflecting on my forgiveness through Christ so that I can reflect what he has done to me for others. Note what the king says here. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion? That phrase, have had compassion, is one word in the original language, and it is a verb. You might see that, have had compassion, and think, noun, compassion. But very literally, it might be transliterated, compassionate. It's a verb. Why? Because love is not simply an attitude. Love is an action. Love requires that I do something. Friends, let's understand here and now. Loving like Jesus cannot just be an attitude. We can't just talk about it. We can't just think about it. We can't just seek to know what it means better. We can't even simply pray about it. We need to get active. It it can't just be an attitude. It can't just be a nice platitude for 2023. It can't just be something we say, well, our church is seeking to love God and love others better to do it more. If it's going to happen, if we're going to grow, if we are going to reach for that goal. It requires that we do something. It's doing to others, for others, and in others what Jesus has done to, for, and in us. And by the way, not just those we know, not just those we like, or not just those who are like us. But from this parable, we learn also those who wrong us. Remember what God calls us to do. God does not call us to do unto others as they have done unto us. God doesn't call us to do unto others Only that group 
that we already naturally get along with. God calls us to do unto others as we would like them to do unto us. And I would say even beyond that, to do unto others as God has already done unto us. That is really what he calls us to. What has God done for you? Could you sit down and just begin a list? Write out a list. God has done this. God has done that. And really reflect on what God has done for you. And then take it to the next step. God has done all of this for me. How have I reflected that to others? Wow. Forgive like he has forgiven you. Has God ever withheld forgiveness? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. When we speak of God, what does that mean? Every time. No matter where, no matter what, no matter when, every time. And so he calls us to do unto others. Dr. Tony Evans, pastor and author, defined forgiveness this way. The decision to no longer credit to the account of the offender. When someone wrongs you, you have to choose to continue while no longer crediting the wrong to the offender. Forgiveness essentially means to stop keeping score. I'm not going to make a mark against you. Sometimes we hear forgive and forget. That's not possible. But what is possible is not to keep score. Not to keep a record of it. Not to hold it over someone else. The question might be asked, well, what if the offender has not asked for forgiveness? Have you ever been wronged by someone else and the someone else did not ask you to forgive them? What does God expect of us in that situation? Dr. Evans again further described two stages of forgiveness that I agree with and find very helpful. One he describes as transactional forgiveness. Transactional forgiveness happens when both parties desire reconciliation and restoration of the relationship. In this stage, the offender repents of the wrong, wants restoration, asks for forgiveness, and it prompts transitional forgiveness. But if the offender has not asked for forgiveness or can't ask for forgiveness, maybe, maybe you and they have lost track of one another. Maybe they've died and cannot possibly at this point ask for forgiveness. Whatever the case may be, if the offender has not or cannot ask, the second stage of forgiveness is unilateral forgiveness. You and you 
alone. Unilateral forgiveness is given when the person hasn't asked for it, hasn't repented. Why should you do that? Why should I do this? Unilateral forgiveness is granted so that you can keep going. So that you can keep moving forward. So that you can keep progressing. We'll see more about why that's important in a few moments. But the reality is, regardless of the offender, we should forgive because the price of unforgiveness is just too high. That's what I want you to see. Secondly, the results of unforgiveness. Look again at Matthew 18, 31, where we find the first in this passage result of unforgiveness. The Bible says, so when his fellow servants saw what was done, read the next phrase out loud, would you? They were very sorry. When the fellow servant saw this forgiven servant refusing to forgive his fellow servant. Not offering him the forgiveness that he himself had received. The Bible says that there were others aware of the situation who were very sorry. I want you to note, number one, result of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness affects others outside the circumstances. So often we talk about how unforgiveness affects just the two individuals in the situation. The the wrongdoer and the one who was wronged. The wrongdoer and the one done wrong. But do you understand tonight that unforgiveness affects others? The Bible says here, the fellow servants were made very sorry. The word literally has the idea of to be made sad, to distress, to cause to be sad, to grieve. The fellow servants who were not involved, yet knew of the situation, were grieved, distressed, and saddened by the situation. Listen to me, friends. Wrongs often damage More than those directly involved. When someone hurts another person, often the hurt itself affects others. But listen, if I am done wrong and then refuse to forgive, I compound that because by not forgiving, it affects others. Think of it in specific contexts. If there is a hurt between a man and a woman, a husband and wife, and it goes unresolved and forgiveness is not given, do you think that that will have any effect on the children? On other family members? When there is unforgiveness between a parent and a son or a daughter, a son and daughter and a parent... When there's unforgiveness, put it in a work context. Have you ever known uh, two coworkers that there was some offense between them that continued unresolved? Did that affect other relationships in the workplace? Yeah. When forgiveness is not given and resentment remains, it affects more than just the wrongdoer and the one done wrong. It affects others around. And that will happen in your life and mine if we refuse to forgive when someone does us wrong. 
Secondly, notice this. Unforgiveness places me in bondage. Verses 34 and 35. The king then is angry. The Bible says he delivers the forgiven servant now to the tormentors, literally torturers, and has him placed into prison until he pays all the debt. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what takes place here. And scholars and commentators vastly uh, differ on their views of verse 35, usually swinging between two extremes. There are those who would say, well, the unforgiving servant uh, was never really saved, thus never really forgiven. Or forgiven and then stripped of forgiveness, thus a loss of salvation. One commentator, J.B. Kaufman, even said that the sine qua non, which is a Latin phrase meaning essential element or condition. Listen to this. The essential element or condition without which no man can be saved is a forgiving heart. Does that sound biblical? It doesn't to me either. I don't see anywhere in the scripture where I'm required to have a forgiving heart to be saved. A statement like that is foreign to the Bible. If we swing to either extreme, I believe we are both making it too simple and unbiblical. And think about it. If we applied similar theology to other areas, who could be saved? None of us could. How can we suggest that the unforgiving servant was never really saved? Who does the king represent in Jesus' parable? God. God forgives. And the king even says, I forgave you because you desired me. No strings attached. No, nothing to pay. No need to continue to to do something specific to have that forgiveness, to earn that forgiveness. No, I forgave. And that's the way God forgives. God forgives without strings attached. So are we to think that this person, this, uh, this servant never experienced forgiveness, that forgiveness was not really offered? This is unsensible to me. The king said forgiveness is available simply for the asking. If forgiveness is available simply for the asking, then being forgiving cannot be a requirement of salvation. Because then salvation would be no longer about grace. It would be about works. Paul wrote to the Galatians, the moment you bring any work into it, it's not, no longer of grace. And if any work comes into it, then it has to be all of works and not of grace whatsoever. And so, if you will, one extreme denies the security of salvation. You can lose your salvation. The other extreme denies the grace of salvation. Neither one would be biblical. I would caution and listen carefully to this statement. An individual who claims to be saved 
and never senses regret, conviction, or otherwise over their sin is at least unlikely to be saved. If you're a child of God, the Spirit of God dwells within you, and when you sin, the Holy Spirit's going to bring conviction. And if you continue in that sin without making it right, God's going to get involved in the way of chastisement. Scourging every son whom he receiveth. And if you be without chastisement, then are ye bastards and not sons. However... Wouldn't you agree that it's unlikely that every true believer would practice God's level of forgiveness in every situation? That's what you'd have to believe to say that this servant was either unsaved or lost his salvation. That God requires that we practice his level of forgiveness in every situation. Now, that's what God wants of us, but it's not a requirement of salvation. Okay? So then, verse 35, what is the price to be paid? The king said, put him in prison until the debt is paid. I believe here the king is not requiring the original debt to be paid. God is not requiring the 10,000 talent debt to be paid. So what is it that's to be paid? Forgiveness. You see, friends, here's what happens. When you and I refuse to forgive, we place ourselves in bondage. I said earlier, we compound sin. We are sinned against. And in reaction to being sinning against, when we refuse to forgive, what are we now doing? We're sinning against God. And sinning against God always causes a break in fellowship. When I am in that place in my life, 1 John chapter 1 would tell me that I am no longer walking in the light as God is in the light. I am walking in darkness. And I cannot claim to be walking in the light while I am in practice walking in darkness. And if that is true, then I have a break in fellowship between me and God. I want you to understand tonight, if you've been holding on to resentment, if you have refused to forgive in a situation in your life, you might have been holding on to that for years and that for all that time has been between you and God. You have been unable to draw closer to God. Simply by virtue of that unforgiveness. In further describing unilateral forgiveness, Dr. Tony Evans explained that it keeps the person granting it from being held hostage when you give it. From being held hostage by something another person refuses to get right. Refusing to do so. 
Refusing to forgive, even if someone else hasn't asked for forgiveness, is allowing yourself to be held hostage by something you can never change. You're asking for someone else to change and repent as a prerequisite to you doing what's right. And you can never change someone else. Unforgiveness blocks you from the supernatural. There are two sides to everyone's story, the need to forgive, but also the need to be forgiven. And if you think about it, forgiveness is a beautiful word when you need forgiveness and often an ugly word when you're the one who has to give forgiveness. Jesus here is not talking about salvation. He's talking about fellowship. You cannot be right with God. You cannot be walking with him in close, intimate fellowship. While at the same time harboring resentment and refusing to forgive someone that you should forgive. Unforgiveness places me in prison until the time that I forgive. And notice he puts a little bit of a deeper spin on it than we often think about. Verse number 35. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if ye, what? From your hearts. Were you the kind of parent who took your child when something had happened between them and another kid and the other kid hit them or poked him in the eye or stuck a pencil up their nose as a kid I know used to do to someone he knew. And parent says, all right, now you say, I'm sorry. And kid says, I'm sorry. And parent on the other side tells their kid, all right, now what do you need to say? I don't know. Say you forgive. I don't want to. Say you forgive or I'm going to beat you, (laughs) figuratively speaking. I forgive you. Does that meet the requirement? You know, if we can say, I forgive you. But if we continue to keep score... If we continue to mark it down on that person's record, have we really forgiven? And the answer is no. Unforgiveness places you and me in a prison until the time that we forgive. But when we forgive, God can then forgive me and release me from the prison of unforgiveness. But God can never forgive you For your unforgiveness until the time that you do what? Forgive. If you come to God and ask him to forgive you for your unforgiveness while continuing to be unforgiving, can God forgive you? Go to Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive my trespasses as I forgive those who... Trespass against me. And then at the conclusion of the prayer, Jesus says, 
If you forgive men their trespasses, so shall my heavenly Father forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, then my heavenly Father won't forgive you. You can go to God all you want and ask him to forgive you for your unforgiveness. But in terms of fellowship and cleansing for that sin, God can't and won't until you forgive. And until you do, you stay in bondage, in prison. We all enter occasions where we must choose to forgive or not forgive. Carefully consider the price you will pay for unforgiveness. When we choose not to forgive, the price that we pay for unforgiveness is great. When we fail to forgive, others outside of the circumstance will be hurt. When we fail to forgive, we place ourselves in bondage. And so tonight, consider your own heart deeply. Whom do you need to forgive? Failing to do so will only inflate the price that you've already paid. You'll keep paying and keep paying until the time that you obey and forgive. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? If you're a follower of Christ, just in this silence with heads bowed and eyes closed, no music. Are there remnants of unforgiveness in your heart? Is there someone who has wronged you? And it may be in an incredibly deep, betraying way. But if you are harboring unforgiveness... You are hurting yourself. It's a sin against God. And if that's you, you, you and I need to repent of that unforgiveness as sin. Ask him to help develop his heart in us to enable us to forgive others just like he's forgiven us. If you've been holding on to resentment, tonight is the night to expel it. You expel it by forgiving the wrongdoer. You may not be able to go to them and say, I forgive you. You may not know where they are. They may have passed on, but you've been holding on. With God's help tonight and by his grace, choose to forgive. that he might help you to move on. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God, for how you speak to our hearts through it, how easy it is in the hurts of life to go on and not deal with, with it biblically. I pray if there is someone here tonight or watching or listening online 
who's been holding on to resentment. It might be from a situation that happened this past week. Last year. 10 years ago, 20 years ago or more. Father, I ask tonight that tonight you would help us to expel that from our hearts and lives. We can't change us. We can't cleanse us. Only you can. And so I pray as we yield to you that the Holy Spirit of God would do that changing and cleansing work. Help us to better love you and others through forgiving those who hurt us. And we'll be sure to praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night. God bless.